Pushkin. Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill-building courses for you to choose from because the steps you choose to take today will help you love what you do in the future. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Upswell Marketing would like to remind our listeners that most people don't belong to two gyms, see two dentists, or trust two auto repair shops. So when customers choose your small business over your competitors, they're really choosing you. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads. In fact, that formula and media mix has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. And if you mention that you heard about Upswell on this podcast, you will receive 15% off your first order. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. Now is the time to embrace a new wave of workers. Every day, your team grows younger, more digital, and more drawn to entirely new ways of working, which means you need flexible solutions to connect them where business gets done. T-Mobile for Business was born digital. With America's largest 5G network, we can make it easier to work together from virtually anywhere. Your team may be changing, but with the right tech, it can be more productive than ever before. Get started at T-Mobile.com slash now. Today's show is about known knowns and unknown unknowns, which is to say we're talking about AI. Specifically, a type of AI called a large language model, or an LLM. The most famous LLM is ChatGPT, uh, but there are lots of others. And at their core, they all do the same thing. They read a piece of text and they predict what the next series of words should be. LLMs are obviously and quite suddenly a huge deal in a lot of ways. One thing about them that is particularly wild to me, LLMs behave in ways that are surprising even to the people who built them. In other words, large language models are this profoundly powerful, disruptive new thing. And right now, we urgently need to figure out what they mean and how they work. I'm Jacob Goldstein, and this is What's Your Problem, the show where I talk to people who are trying to make technological progress. My guest today is Sam Bowman. He's an expert in large language models, in LLMs. Um, he's on the faculty at NYU, and he runs a research group at an AI company called Anthropic. All the recent talk about LLMs inspired Sam to write a paper to clear up what he thought were some misconceptions. The paper is called Eight Things to Know About Large Language Models. I am a fan of lists in general, and I loved this list in particular. Among other things, it gave me a deeper sense of the ways in which large language models are still a mystery, even to experts like Sam. That mystery, those unknown unknowns, have important implications for the way we think about and regulate and develop AI. We're going to start by discussing a pretty simple item on Sam's list. The item is this. Brief interactions with LLMs are often misleading. You write this. You write... Brief interactions with LLMs are often misleading. What's that mean? So 
when, especially when GPT-4 came out, and I guess also when, when ChatGPT first came out, there was very predictably this wave of people on Twitter saying, hey, this system is, is sentient and it knows where I live and it's ready to take over the world tomorrow because they had one chat with it and it said that it was sentient and it made a few educated guesses that happened to be right. And you'll get other people on Twitter saying, hey, this system is dumb as bricks. I told it a really simple story and asked it what happened in the story and it got it wrong. There's a, a couple of things going on here. There's this great analogy that came up in a recent, I think, Time article by Helen Toner saying they're basically improv players. <laughs> Where if you, if you put them in some situation, if, if, you, if you put them in this situation of, oh, this is a conversation between a human who thinks the AI is sentient and the AI, then maybe the AI is going to say it's sentient. So specifically, they're improv players in the sense that famously in improv, you're supposed to say yes to everything that you're improv partner suggests. And so ChatGPT and the other LLMs are there to say yes, yes and, and that's what's going on. That's a decent part of it, yeah. Uh -huh. They're, um, they're going to say yes, they're going to go along with what you're doing. If you make it clear what you expect, if you make it clear like what kind of narrative you're putting them in, what kind of environment you're putting them in, they'll go along with that. Uh, there are a couple of items on your list that seem directly contrary to assertions I've heard from other people about LLMs. So that's fun and exciting. Mm -hmm. One is human performance on a task is not an upper bound on LLM performance. So one of the reasons I think these systems can be better at a lot of tasks than humans is just that they've learned more stuff, that they've read and mostly memorized not just sort of all of the important papers in one little branch of chemistry or all of the important papers in all of chemistry, they've just read and mostly memorized sort of all of the research papers. In everything. All of the papers in everything. Yeah. And many of the novels and many of the, many of the news stories. And even if these systems aren't really great at drawing connections between these and sort of synthesizing new knowledge out of them, they can do that a little bit. So you can sort of imagine what happens if you get someone who's not especially bright, but basically reasonably intelligent, reasonably competent person who's just gotten a PhD in every single thing you can get a PhD in. I'd expect them to figure some things out and to be able to do some things that no one person can do. And probably they'll notice some things that, that would be really hard for even a team or an organization to do, just because it really, it's important that it kind of is in some sense living in this one person's head. Let me just like lean into that one for a sec. So do you think that in some amount of time, in the next few years, say, an LLM will make some kind of, you know, breakthrough in knowledge, will figure something out that no human has ever figured out that will be a meaningful breakthrough? Yeah, I, I think so. Almost by definition, I don't have a good guess of what that's going to look like or where that's going to be. <laughs> Otherwise, but... you'd be figuring it out right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But no, I could imagine some story like, hey, kind of, a bunch of chemists in this field of chemists have noticed this thing, and some biologists in this other subfield have noticed this other thing, and some doctors have noticed this third thing. And together they mean that some very unexpected kind of drug design might treat some new disease. And maybe if you had enough medical researchers trying enough different things, eventually they'd stumble into that. But it seems plausible at some point that something like a large language model is just going to notice that. And if you ask it the right way, it's going to tell you. And... You might have to second guess it a lot. These systems also make stuff up. 
But I think it's quite possible that you'll start seeing these things pretty often tell you surprising new things that happen to be be true. There's another item on your list that seems to me to be like a provocation. It seems to me, in a good way, it, it, it seems like directly contradictory to, to what I have read, specifically to this idea that all large language models are doing is guessing what the next word in a series is likely to be. And that list item is this. LLMs often appear to learn and use representations of the outside world. LLMs often appear to learn and use representations of the outside world. So that sounds quite different from just guessing the next word. Is it? Or or is it not different in a way that I just don't understand? It turns out it's not that different. Okay. This is... I want to say it's the big discovery, but it's it's this big discovery that's spread out over dozens of experiments over the last few years. Can you give me a specific example? It's such an abstract assertion that I think it would be helpful to have a specific example that we can think about. One great example of this is if you tell a model a story, a simple story that takes place in some sort of physical space where it's it's some characters walking around a house and they're having a conversation while they're walking and they're picking stuff up and they're putting it down. You can see inside the the activations of the neurons when the model is reading that story, you can pull out a map of the house. You can see that kind of there's a there's a piece of the network that says, oh, okay, now they're in the living room. And another piece that says, oh, living room is connected to the bedroom. And you can mess with this in ways that show that it's really sort of, it is really representing the house that if you if you find the the piece of the network that says oh susan is in the living room and you you flip that flip that from a positive number to a negative number then the story will continue as though susan is not in a lot in the living room or uh-huh. couldn't possibly have been in the living room so that does seem like it's representing the physical world in a way that is not just guessing the next word yeah yeah so we were we're finding out these systems are actually representing the objects they're talking about, at least some of the time. They're creating a representation of physical space. Yeah. I should be clear that this is this doesn't always work. Uh-huh. When, when you're giving these, these systems something really hard and subtle, they're just going to totally botch this stuff. Their internal representations are a mess. But more and more of the time, they're really doing it. And as these things get bigger and bigger, they're doing it more and more. And so this feels like this important turning point where it's like, oh, okay, there is some understanding going on here, and it's getting better. And that really radically opens up the possibilities for where this technology might go. This, what you're saying seems very much at odds with what people generally say about LLMs, right? Like, the standard line is, they're just predicting what the next word is going to be. And they're very good at predicting what the next word is going to be. And there's a lot of powerful things you can do. But what you're saying sounds fundamentally different from that. And so, I mean, are the people saying they're just predicting the next word? Are they wrong? Is what you're saying a point of debate among experts or what? Why is this so different than what I've heard before? There's a few things going on. So first, saying that they're just predicting the next word is mostly right. But it turns out that saying that they just predict the next word is is a lot like saying humans are just chemical reactions. Uh-huh. It turns out that if you're trying to predict the next word, and if, if you've got a smaller network that's trying to predict the next word, it's going to learn that 
sort of the word the and of and a and and, those show up often. And that's about all it's going to learn. If you take a medium-sized neural network, it's going to learn how to write fluent sentences. It's going to write, oh, okay, sort of adjectives become come before nouns. These kinds of nouns come before these kinds of nouns. It might even learn some facts. It might learn that if you talk about the president of the United States, you'll get names like Obama and Bush and Biden and Trump. Um, and it'll start to kind of make sense, but it's still just kind of learning statistics. And if you make the neural network even bigger, it will abstract further away. It will start to reason about the people and the objects and the spaces themselves and use that abstraction to predict the next word. So, so kind of the more these systems learn about the world, the farther and farther their internal representations get from just sort of literally what word comes after what other word. So there's another item on your list that that seems like it should have interesting implications for the AI industry, right? For the business of building LLMs. I'll just read that one. Uh, it goes, LLMs predictably get more capable with increasing investment, even without targeted innovation. So we'll get into it, but but just top line, what does that mean? The We had language models in almost their modern form back in 2010, 11, 12. Most of the building blocks for them go back even farther to the 80s or even, even the 60s. You might have noticed that we weren't, we didn't have ChatGPT uh, 10 or 20 or, or 50 years ago. Right. What people have been gradually discovering and gradually sort of discovering to a greater and greater degree is that if you just take this relatively simple technology and throw more data at it and run it in its sort of training phase for longer and longer by fancier and fancier computers to run it on, it just keeps getting better. But if, if the technology is not special, I mean, everybody knows the basic sauce, it suggests that GPT might not have, and OpenAI, the company that makes ChatGPT, might not have like that much of a moat, right? Uh, I mean, Google is clearly in this business, as is Anthropic, the company where you're working. Um, mm -hmm. Is there any reason to think OpenAI, GPT is going to stay ahead? I think there's not a lot of secret sauce. There are some details of how to build these things that that don't get published, but the basic idea is very much out there. And yeah, I think the the closest thing you can really have to a moat is just enormous amounts of money. Um, <laughs> I think at some point you're you're going to have a relatively small number of, of of labs building the really impressive frontier systems, just because at some point these are going to be ten billion dollar projects, yeah. and it just seems unlikely that you're going to get that many ten billion dollar projects. If it's the case, as you say, that essentially what what you need to build a frontier level LLM is a lot of money, I would guess that governments around the world, certainly say China, to pick a salient government, are probably building giant LLMs right now. Does that seem like a reasonable guess? Um, yeah, that seems that seems right. I I know there are a lot of private and private public and public groups in China working on this stuff. And when I sort of hear people in the field who are following the geopolitical side of this more closely, they're paying a lot of attention to things like the Chips Act and global trade in chips, in that you really do need, when you're spending these millions or billions of dollars, you're basically spending them to buy or rent very fancy state-of-the-art computer chips. 
And it has become a priority for the U.S. to try to make it hard for China to do that. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And so, yeah, to, to, I think- to try and make it hard for China to, to get at the at the processor level, which in a sense is like this, the cement that LLMs are built from. There is a physical thing. We forget that, but it's it's fancy chips, basically. That's right. Yeah. We've been talking so far about what we know about how large language models work. After the break, we'll get into what I think is the most interesting thing about LLMs, what we don't know about how they work. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. Customers were paying too much for shaving products. So the people at Harry's came up with a way to make beautifully designed razors and sell them at lower prices. Exceptional products at honest prices. I've been using a Harry's razor the last few weeks, and it's great. Close shave. It's got a nice hinge, so it bends around my face in the right places. And I've used the same blade for multiple shaves, and it is still going strong. Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry. They offer a no-risk trial, and Harry's offers a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Here's a headline. Harry's has the best shave at the best price. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com problem. That's harrys.com slash problem for a $3 trial set. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. That's the end of the ads. Now we're going back to the show. So far, we've basically been talking about how do LLMs work, what's going on. There is another bucket in your list, several items, three items that are 
it seems to me, in quite a different category. And they get at this very, very interesting idea about LLMs. And that is, to some significant degree, nobody knows how they work. The people who build LLMs, people like you, people who build them and study them, don't understand a lot of what is going on, which is amazing to me and super interesting. So let's let's start with this list item. It says, specific important behaviors in LLMs tend to emerge unpredictably as a byproduct of increasing investment. And you give a couple of examples of this happening for real in the world. So, and, and I think the best way to understand what's going on here is to, to talk about one of those examples. Can you just like talk me through one of those examples of this unpredictable new behavior emerging? Yeah. So a specific large language model that people working on this stuff talk about a lot is GPT-3. This came out a little less than three years ago and I think sort of kicked off the modern wave of research on this stuff. And one thing researchers would do as these systems would would come out is give them math puzzles and logic puzzles and see how they did. And this could be as simple as just sort of giving the model reasonably hard arithmetic, sort of asking the model, what is uh, 125 plus 467? And what they found is sort of GPT-1 was bad at this and GPT-2 was bad at this. And at least for some of these tasks, GPT-3 was also bad at this. And they released it. They put it out in the world. They wrote a paper about it. They did some demos to researchers and then eventually just let anyone sign up and use it. And after a few months, people started noticing, oh, there are some tricks you can use to actually make it quite a bit better at this. Huh. Um, if you if you ask the model the right way, uh, sometimes it'll just kind of reason out loud. Sometimes it will say, oh, it'll, it'll actually do long addition. It'll actually write out its steps. So, so give me a specific then, example. What, what do you, how do you ask it the right way? So it took even a few more months for people to figure out how to do this systematically. But it turned out the trick was you literally say, let's think step by step. You actually Those type words. that in. You say that to the machine, to the model. Yes. Okay. And if you say, what is this number plus this number, question mark, it'll give a wrong answer. If you say, what is this number plus this number, let's think step by step, dot, dot, dot. It's going to list out, okay, let's start with the ones digit and then the tens digit and then the hundredth digit and then give you the answer. And it'll very often be right. Huh. And it turns out this works really generally that for, for many kinds of sort of math and reasoning problems, even some, even sort of ethics problems, there's a huge range of things you might ask one of these neural networks to do, where if you just tell it, let's think step by step, it will bring out this whole reasoning ability that is actually really useful that allows it to do much better at a lot of things and that it just didn't have before. And when this technology was first released, the people who built it, they did not know this was a possibility. That's wild, right? Like, it means this thing is incredibly powerful in a way that the people who built it didn't know. And let's think step by step is just like this incantation. It's just like saying abracadabra or something. And, and the builders didn't know it was there. Yeah, it's it's a bizarre time to be working on this stuff. It, it... <laughs> like, here's where it's getting a little sketchy to me at a certain level, right? I mean, you've also done a lot of work in AI safety, and this kind of section of the interview, I feel like we're getting more toward that, the section of, like, the people building this stuff don't understand what it can do. And here, should we add another list item here? Like, this might be the place. Sure, go for it. So there's this other 
item on your eight things to know list that seems germane here. Experts are not yet able to interpret the inner workings of LLMs, which also wild, also kind of goes with this idea of, of um, not knowing what the thing can do, right? And very not intuitive for a piece of technology, right? If you go back to, say, the internet, sure, we didn't know all the social implications of the internet, but we knew how the technology worked. We knew what was going on with the chips and the wires and the electrons and whatever, right? Like the amazing thing here is clearly we don't know the social implications of AI, but you're saying we don't even know what it's doing inside the box. Yeah, that's right. We've got these very crude tools for sort of opening the box and looking inside. I mean, in a literal sense, we know it's going on. We can say, oh, when you put in this word, then it makes this number bigger, which makes that number smaller, which makes this number bigger. And you could keep saying that for 20 years, and then you'd have explained what happened. Um, but we haven't figured out any other way of talking about these systems that actually gives us any clarity about what's possible, why these systems are doing what they're doing, where they're reliable and not. It's just this huge mess of connections that we don't really know what to do with. I mean, what, what should we make of, of this set of facts, that these are incredibly powerful tools that nobody understands at a pretty deep level that can do unpredictable things, that, that are able to do things that even their, their makers don't know they can do? I think it's pretty exciting and also pretty sobering. Um, I think we don't have a good way of predicting how fast this is moving or, or what we're going to get when. But in the big picture, it seems like there's, there's a lot of momentum toward building these really powerful AI systems over the next few years. We don't understand how they work. Another one of these list items is we also aren't very good at controlling and we aren't very good at making them do what we want. Yes, let me just pause there because it's the last list yeah, item yeah. and and we you have just walked up to it. So the, the, the last item, the item that we haven't mentioned on your list, there are no reliable techniques for steering the behavior of LLMs. So they're powerful. We don't really understand how they work. They can do things we don't know they're going to do and we can't really control them. But now we're through the list. Now let's just talk it out. Yeah. And so... We're, yeah, we're building, we're building these systems. They're getting better. They're developing new capabilities. We don't really know how they work. We can't predict which capabilities are showing up when. And if they're doing something we don't want, we don't really know how to notice that and mitigate it and prevent it. And that just feels like it's, it's playing with fire at a scale that I'm not sure we've seen before, at least outside of things like nuclear weapons. It's, it's this very sort of sobering situation to be in. What do we do about it? Um, I'm not sure. I wish I had a better answer. Um, yeah. there are a few things that will definitely help. Maybe one obvious thing here is just, there's probably a lot of regulation that would be good to have here. You really don't want the move fast and break things ethos to be behind a technology that is close to human level ability at a lot of, at a lot of cognitive tasks. That seems like the setup for a bad sci-fi movie. Specifically... What regulation do you think is a good idea? One outline of an idea that I'm excited about, and I think this is definitely not the best idea or the only good idea, is mandating or standardizing some tests for particularly scary capabilities, for things that would be particularly important. Um, like, and like this what? includes things like, yeah. and OpenAI has actually started doing this, and Anthropic's also doing something like this, is testing sort of, if you ask the system to 
walk you, a layperson, through building a new biologic weapon, through yeah. sort of seeding the start of a new pandemic in your garage, will it, will it help you? Or will it help you sort of much, much better than just Googling around or talking to your friend of the PhD? And so then you have to think of all of the versions of that you can think of, whatever, shutting down the electric grid, poisoning the water supply, building a nuclear bomb, right? I mean, are there people who are just yeah. making that list and making sure that ChatGPT can't do it? There are people who are making this list, and I'm not sure there are enough of them, and I'm not sure they are involved in testing every system that's being built. Yeah, But it's kind of, yeah, running through this checklist of what are the capabilities these systems could have that would be just really disruptive that we don't want to move move fast and break things with, that we want to see coming and we want these to sort of influence our decisions about what actually gets deployed uh, yeah. when and where. And that there's not some unpredictable abracadabra that nobody can see, but that three months later, somebody will figure out, right? Yeah. This is the big gap in this is, I think we can say, okay, once your system is this dangerous, only deploy it if it's really under control. We don't even know how to define that. We don't even yeah. know how you would be sure that a system is really under control. We'll be back in a minute with the lightning round. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Upswell Marketing would like to remind our listeners that most people don't belong to two gyms, see two dentists, or trust two auto repair shops. So when customers choose your small business over your competitors, they're really choosing you. To help you focus on running your business, Upswell Marketing will handle everything from targeting your best-fit audience through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads. 
In fact, that formula and media mix has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. They specialize in developing your direct response strategy, backed by 15 years of their data and industry expertise. And if you mention that you heard about Upswell on this show, you'll get 15% off your first order. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Now let's get back to the show. Okay. It's time for the lightning round. Are you ready? All right, let's go. Okay, let's go. What's your favorite fictional representation of AI? Off the top of my head, X, X Machina was pretty good. The premises around, I think, what people in AI tend to worry about actually look not that far off of it, except that right now we're dealing with chatbots instead of, um, instead of seductive robots. I liked the vibe of Ex Machina a lot. I like the aesthetic. I like how spare and empty it is. Um, what's your favorite theory for how LLMs could destroy humanity? Ooh, there's, there's so many options, and it's so hard to know um, where, where this goes. The, um, what's one that's worth mentioning, because it's surprising or because it's particularly worrisome or for any reason? One kind of thing I'm particularly worried about is this sort of slow-moving train wreck by way of politics, that you get sort of totalitarian states get better and better at surveillance, political persuasion gets better and better, and so democratic political campaigns go more and more off the rails. You wind up with more and more totalitarian states, they're more and more effective, and they themselves are leaning more and more on AI to do important work. And at that point, sort of, Something like an AI coup doesn't seem that crazy. And in particular, what is the large language model doing there in that story? Persuading people one-on-one, -on -one, surveilling people one-on-one, -on -one, also making political decisions, sort of deciding how resources should be allocated and who should be empowered within a government, and eventually making military decisions and eventually making big economic decisions. Uh -huh. I just sort of worry about this world where people put more and more trust in systems because they work. And that helps centralize things more and more into fewer and fewer institutions. And that makes those institutions really, really delicate. And if, if an AI system goes off the rails and starts doing something that, that even their creators don't want, that gets pretty arbitrarily bad. What's your favorite theory for how LLMs can help humanity? I think the big ones are education and science. I think it would be pretty cool if you could hire a really world-class, like sort of Oxford... Oxford tutorial quality tutor for just everyone with access to a computer of any kind. And that feels like, like on your it's phone. pretty close. You could do it on your phone. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. And I don't think we've really figured out how to make that work. But I think if that really works, that could be really transformative for the better. On science, I think there's a lot of just really thorny problems around things like drug development, things like sort of fusion power and clean energy, where it could be that just having having these systems that can kind of digest more information, understand more at once, could unlock a bunch of important stuff that would otherwise take us many more generations to, to get to. On balance, you think the potential upside of it, AI outweighs the potential downside? Probably, but I think that really depends on us being careful right now. I think this makes me optimistic in the long run, but... I think there's a there's a real chance that things sort of go off the rails if this keeps being kind of a free-for-all commercial product for, for more than a few more years. Um, you went viral on Twitter a while ago when you wrote, quote, 
doing a PhD is, in most cases, a terrible idea. You, I should point out, have a have a PhD. Also, it's worth pointing out that PhDs have been saying this for, I guess, as long as there have been PhDs. So uh, there's a lot of questions you could ask here. Well, there's two, really. Like, why do people with PhDs keep saying don't get a PhD? And also, why do people keep ignoring them? Why do people keep going to get PhDs? Um, this was in a moment of being... Uh being particularly horrified at, at some of the sort of common outcomes in PhD programs. Um, and I think the average case is really bad. The average case, literally, I think the median PhD gets an actual diagnosis of depression or anxiety and often doesn't get that much out of the program, like kind of really struggles in it. And because they're really struggling in it, don't accomplish that much and don't have great job pro prospects on the other end. The best case, if you get a sort of top 5% PhD, it's really great. You get to play around with great resources and do whatever you want and explore new ideas for a few years. And it opens up really tremendous opportunities. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's the kind of thing that people should really, really check their motivations and check their resilience before going into it and kind of brace themselves uh, just because it is so often uh, such, a, such a difficult experience. Why do you think people keep going to get PhDs? I mean, there is some real upside. There are some really cool jobs that you can only get if you have one. But I think there's also this piece, and this is maybe why I had my, my snippy tweet about this, that if you're a sort of smart, nerdy college student at a research university where you've got lots of opportunities to kind of work in research labs, then you can get this really strong social signal that just like, you're good at school, you should keep doing school. Like, doing a PhD is what it looks like to keep doing school. This is just the obvious way to use your talents and just kind of jump into that out of momentum. And that's that can be, I think, a, a pretty a riskier decision than it looks like. If everything goes well, what problem will you be trying to solve in, say, five years? I don't know. I got, I got into this stuff sort of through the cognitive science, sort of through the idea that you don't really understand something until you can build it. And I really want to understand how minds work, why it is that sort of hooking neurons together in your head this way makes something that can think and that can experience. And, and sort of mixed in with all of this very consequential real-world stuff that's going on with AI, as we're building all these tools, we're also building really great tools for just doing cognitive science and sort of figuring out the answers to a lot of really old questions about how the human mind works. And if all the practical problems are solved and everything's under control and going great, then I'd be happy to get back into that stuff. So you, ha you would have to be less worried about the world than you are now. I think that's right. Well, I hope it goes. I hope, I hope you become less worried about the world. I guess I'm not super optimistic about that. I feel like I'm generally a reasonably optimistic person, but this one seems, seems like there's a lot to worry about on yeah, this one. Yeah. Yeah. I, thanks. Thanks for the well wishes. <laughs> and, and yeah, it feels like, it feels like sort of, Decent chance things go badly, decent chance things go very well, but I'm, it seems pretty sure that stuff is just getting weird, that research five years from now is not going to look like research now, and yeah. probably same with many, many, many other uh, things we do. Sam Bowman is an associate professor at NYU, and he runs a research group at the AI company Anthropic. Today's show was edited by Lydia Jean Cott. It was produced by David Ja and Edith Russelo, and engineered by Amanda K. Wong. 
I'm Jacob Goldstein, and we'll be back next week with another episode of What's Your Problem? Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Upswell Marketing would like to remind our listeners that most people don't belong to two gyms, see two dentists, or trust two auto repair shops. So when customers choose your small business over your competitors, they're really choosing you. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads. In fact, that formula and media mix has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. And if you mention that you heard about Upswell on this podcast, you will receive 15% off your first order. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com.